coming to you from the pit in Royal Grande, California. Your hosts, John Hackleman and Dr. James Casper. It's time for Pitmaster and the Doc. Okay, ready? Hey guys, Pitmaster here. I'm here with the Doc. John, good to see you. This is episode number, guess. 70. 70. 70. 70. 70. 70. That's 70. We've done 70 episodes. That's that's pretty cool. That's a good... That's, that's good. We're starting to figure it out. We are. And then we're, I think, we are the best podcast in the world. Without a doubt. You know what I told podcast? you, we're the fastest growing podcast with a sports medicine doctor and a pit master. Yeah, we are. <laughs> fastest growing. <laughs> I love uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, my three favorite podcasts, in no specific order, Joe Rogan... Without a doubt, all of them, because he has like the fight compilation or whatever, and he has his own. Then he, I don't know how many podcasts he has. Anything with Joe Rogan, I love. Then I love uh, the art of manlyhood, manliness, manliness, the art of manliness. I love it. I was listening to it today, and then Amy Porterfield. Amy Porterfield's all about uh, building your brand and doing better on. Uh, on social media and how to you know build up online stuff. So Amy, those are my three favorite: Amy, Amy Porterfield, Joe Rogan, and uh, Art of Manliness. So if you want a, three other podcasts besides just ours, I mean you can just watch ours, but if you want to branch out a little bit, those are three other ones that you can watch. All right. So anyway, so this was uh, UFC on ESPN. I think it was their first actual main event on ESPN not on ESPN plus but this was the UFC on ESPN so they had the UFC from okay. Phoenix yeah and then afterwards which is weird it was sports center and part of sports center was recapping the UFC which was really cool that was cool cuz it is like like the big time but why can't there just be one? Like, the prelims are here, then the main card is here. It's just, it's so fucking confusing. I've actually spent, like, 10, 15 minutes when it was Fox trying to find, because it was, like, Fox 1, uh, one pay, uh, then it was Channel 151. Sometimes it was, like, Channel 4. Depends if you have a Dish or, or, or um, Spectrum or DirecTV, so it was, just, it was so confusing. And now it's getting confused again. You know what's good? I'll tell you this. Tell For me. someone that doesn't, I don't have DirecTV. I just have an Apple TV, and that's it, and streaming. But you go on the ESPN app, and you could start watching the fights, like the main card. I started watching it late, but I get to just start watching it. It was pretty cool. From the beginning, okay. Yeah, so you can go back, and then you can fast forward all the commercials, and it's great. So it's a great way for me to watch it. Um, it was like immediately on ESPN three, which is on the app, and you could just watch it right away. It was pretty easy. You're smarter than me. I don't know. I I liked it because it's just right on there, and you just say you I, literally say into your remote UFC, and then it like comes on. It so doesn't, it doesn't do that for me. I have to. <laughs> my remote is my wife, and I say find you. Just UFC. say the same thing. UFC. Find <laughs> UFC. But, but it, to me, it's just it's a royal pain in the ass, and and. Uh, 
uh, it just switches around and but once you once you get there it's a good pro it's really good broadcast um, it's really good uh, the way they put it together it's a really good production it really is so I mean I can't really complain um, so I watched it from my cell phone um, oh you did no I watched Bellator from my cell phone. I watched the UFC from my iPad. And then I was like mirroring it to my TV, but it kept like cutting off every other fight or something. So I watched it between my iPad and then it was it would uh, mirror it, mirror it to my TV. So it worked about half the time. So I got to see them all and I'm happy. So let's go. So the first so this was from my hometown of Phoenix. Um, and so they had a lot of local people. I know Kane, uh, I got my undergraduate degree from ASU and Kane Velasquez was a wrestler there at ASU. So he's a big hometown favorite there. A bunch of other guys in the card were from Arizona. I think the stadium looked packed. It was that you've yeah. been there. The, they call it the yeah. talking stick something it's something. Like an, it used like to be America West Arena. That's where the Suns play. I think it's one of those Indian casinos. Yeah. Well, no, but it's in, it's the, it used to be in America West Arena. It's downtown Phoenix. Wasn't it? You went. Yeah, I went there. Yeah, it's it's not like way out on the Indian Reservation. It's yeah, but, but Indians they have like little lands all over the place. That might be their square square. I think they just have the naming rights for the arena, but it's a big arena. It's yeah, where the huge. it's where the NBA plays. It looked pretty. It looked pretty huge. It was it was a good card. Um, one of the 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 main the first fight on the main card was uh, Andrew Andre Feely against uh, Miles Jury. Um, Andrew Feely won. Could have gone either way. I think that one could have gone either way. But if I was a judge, I would have given it to Andre Feely because I felt he was a little cleaner and crisper and more consistent with his strikes. And I think that's why he won. I think Miles Jury came back with some solid... I think he, he had heavier hands and he was going for the knockout more, but he wasn't scoring as much and he didn't knock out Andrew Feely. I think there was one... He did think, a spinning back fist in round there two. There was one knock, knockdown. That knock, yeah. He had a good spinning back fist in the end of round two. But Andrew Feely jumped right up. I think he made a yell or something. I know it was, Andrew, Andrew Feely looked like he was having fun the whole fight. And then Miles started like going. They kind of went back and forth, smiling and talking. But it was an action-packed fight. They, they actually went at it. But there was, I didn't think there was any near knockout or near anything. But I do think Andrew Feely won very slight margin, but he's he's really shit ton fun to watch, man. And uh, it was all that was what they kept talking about through the whole fight was it was all about his jab. He just had a really good range on his jab and just could hit him with a it lot. at will. He landed a lot jab of blood a lot. There. There's a lot of blood, and uh, Miles did great. It, it went. It was a back and forth, but I, I it was a close decision. But I definitely would have given it to Andre. So, so the who, next fight was the fight of the night. It was uh, Vincente, Vincente Luque and Brian Barberena. Brian Barberena, I think, is a local hometown Glendale guy or something there from Arizona. So the crowd was behind him. Oh, God. Brian Barberena has this style. I don't, he looked tired a little bit in round two, but almost like, not really, but like the drunken boxing where you kind of stagger around a little bit. You kind of have your guard down. Like He yeah. did that a lot with his guard down, and he ate some... Punches. He likes to eat punches. <laughs> that was his... Uh, if he doesn't like to, he sure does. I, it looks like he likes it. I mean, he... 
And he comes back from some adversity. And he's a, I mean, he's a winning fighter. I mean, he just doesn't look like it. He looks like just a journeyman who's just like there to be an, be an opponent for someone. But he's no opponent, man. He come, I mean, he fucking brought that fight. Um, and it was, I thought, to be honest, I think going into the last 10, 20 seconds, whatever it was, I think if this fight went to decision, I honestly think uh, Barbarina would have won. The I statistic really was four minutes and 55 seconds into round three. So if you watch the slow motion, they show the replays of the, some of those some of those strikes that Barbarina absorbed. You could watch those in slow motion and go, oh, that's a knockout. Oh, that's a knockout. Like he, Those were some heavy, heavy hits that it looked like he took. Yeah. And he just kept coming forward. It didn't even yeah. slow him down or phase him. But he, And he had a lot of hits on his own. I mean, so he, he, he landed did. a lot. He landed a lot. They were, you know, I don't know how powerful they were, but Vincente covered up a lot, but still a lot of, a lot of Barbarina's punches got through. Yeah. So they both showed like the fight, you know, they both, you could tell were in a fight. That's a kind of, is that, that's one of those fights you look at and you go, that's kind of one of those wars you go through as a fighter. I don't know how much cumulative brain damage each of one of them sustained, but that, it was, that was a brutal fight. It was a brutal fight. And then with five seconds to go. Referee stopped it because he got dropped with a knee, right? Knee right up the yeah, right at the middle. I he just fell forward. I found it interesting to watch a few of these fights. Dominic Cruz was was commentating and calling the fights. He's he kept saying, you know, he's gonna bring something up the middle, he's gonna knee him up the middle. And then that's exactly what happened. It was like he's clairvoyant. He was like saying what was gonna happen. And then it happened. Yeah, so that was a good fight, fight of the night, obviously. So it was a good fight for in anybody's uh, brain eyes. damage of the night fight for the two of them. You can't look at it that way. <laughs> well, well, whatever you, you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. Fight of the night. Fight of the night. Fight yes. of the night is usually a war, though, right? Yeah. A fight of the night isn't a hey, I, I got choked out by Gracie in the first round. That's not fight of the night. No, as as a fighter, as as a trainer, you want your fighter to be in as little. Fight of the nights as possible. You, in fact, you want no fight of the nights. You want performance of the night, knockout of the night, submission of the night. You do not want fight of the night because that means he took a whooping. It also kind of implies a little bit of back and forth, it right? It means it was way too back and forth. And you don't want back and forth. You just want forth. You don't even want back at all if you can avoid it. So you fourth, 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 fourth of the night. Yeah, fourth of the night. I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with that. But as a fight fan, you kind of want a fight of the night. Man, or I'm as a, a promoter. I'm a fan of Barbarina's after that fight. I, Dude, I, that guy is tough. I've known that for a while. I've always been a fan of his. He just can't, he comes. I remember the first time I watched him fight, I was like, oh, they brought in an opponent for I can't remember who it was. But then he ended up winning, and uh, it might have been uh, uh, the Wonder Boy. Um, that they were grooming Thompson he, or oh Sage Sage Northcutt, so I think that was his first big leap. But anyway, so all right, next fight: uh, Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres versus Crone. Uh, Crone Gracie. Did you hear is what his nickname is? What Ice Cream Crone. <laughs> that's what they that's what he said his nickname is because nothing bothers him. He's a cool character. His name wow. is Ice Cream Crone. Alrighty. So it's Crone Gracie. The so, Gracie family. So he basically jumped on Alex's back like that. Quickly. Quickly. It was how long in the first round? Two minutes. Okay, so he jumped on his back, and then Alex was able to try to 
fight him off for like a split second, and then Crone like hooked in hooked his legs and just leaned back and tripped him while he was on his back. He fell fell he fell and Crone had his back on the ground and in the commentators. Just say, okay, it's over now. It's going to be they over. They basically said, yeah, it's, it's over. Done. It wasn't nothing. multiple takedowns. It was one takedown. He just fell. It was, it was like, one submission attempt. And, man, he looked like he was squeezing hard. And, yeah. And he tapped, didn't he? He tapped. Yeah. He didn't go out. He tapped. Yeah, he tapped. So there was that fight. Not much to say about it. That was his first UFC fight, Crone Gracie. And uh, I have a feeling he'll be back. Yeah, he wanted to fight, like, immediately again. Because I guess, the, I didn't know this, but I guess the Gracies haven't won since, uh, like, 95 in the UFC. It's been a while. It's been crazy. So they, they're the ones that, like, brought the whole thing here, basically, you know? I mean, when it comes to the UFC, I mean, they, they brought the whole sport, and now I would never have thought that they weren't on the winning side a lot, but I guess they're not, so okay. And there have been a bunch of Gracies in, the, like five of them in the UFC, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I think because they're old school and they, they haven't evolved as much. Well, but it is interesting. They did say about Crone, like he'll, he'll stand there and throw punches because he's not worried about getting taken down. So that he has a certain, he's not going to get taken down by Alex Caceres. No. So I, he I, has a certain, a, you know, ability to strike kind but he, of. But you can't be that scared. He might not be scared of getting taken down but if he stood like that with dan henderson he would just get knocked out so he might not be get taken down but if he stands with uh what's their way but he really doesn't need in that fight he doesn't need a takedown defense against Al- right he doesn't so he's he doesn't have to worry about that he could focus more on striking until he doesn't need to focus on striking right so it's kind of a neat advantage he has well it's the same advantage that that uh dan henderson has he's he's an olympic wrestler so he, he could he could take down he has perfect takedown defense so he can just rely on landing that one punch and that's basically all he has is one punch and he knocked out almost every one of his opponents with it so this guy is the other way he doesn't care if he gets taken down because he can just submit you up on the ground and some of the hard hitting wrestlers like Tyrone Woodley or Dan Henderson they're not scared of you know, somebody getting in on them because they can defend any takedown. So that's why they knock people out. So having those different skills like that is really, uh, it really adds to your other skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I totally. All right. Thanks. So I think he'll be interesting to see. You know, it's always interesting too to see the matchups of what kind of other fighter he fights because, you know, the matchup there obviously was in his favor. Yeah. So next next fight was Casey Courtney against uh, Carvalho. Um, decision. Cavallo was in more. Um, she she looked a little more effective. Casey, Courtney Casey looked like she could have been more effective because she was longer and she had more effective strikes, but she didn't throw enough. I think I think her downfall just was not being active enough, and uh, and uh, Cynthia Cavallo was and and won a. Was it a unanimous decision? Yeah, it was a unanimous decision. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, I thought it was close, really close. I thought it was a closer fight, too, than a unanimous decision. Yeah, but... I, but, I thought Casey did a pretty good job. Um, yeah. The uh, They both were swinging at, and the, at the, the end. Yeah, at yeah. the end, it looked like Casey was the winner. But I think if you look at it... Sometimes you look at towards the end, and you just think of that. 
Like, you remember the last of everyone. That's why a lot of fighters want to turn it up the end of each round because that sticks in the judge's mind the most. So the guy could be winning four or five, four minutes out of the five, and then the last minute the guy turns it on and he wins the last minute. A lot of judges are just going to remember that last minute. So the same goes for a round. If you won the first and second, but then your opponent won the big la the, the last round big, the crowd will a lot of times think, oh, that guy won big. But the, the, the judges, they've already marked those two rounds for the other person, so they're a little more on that way. So if you want to fool the judges, you just win the last part of each round. If you want to fool the crowd, just win the last round. Also, like any endurance sport, you're going to use up your gas tank at the last, you know, you're going to sprint the last, you know, so many meters or whatever. So I think these fighters, they, they're looking at the clock and they see that it's running out. Also, they, their chance to, yeah, like you said, their chance to score points is running out. But they may be able to use up a little bit of their gas tank at the end of the round and, yeah. then, and then get a little bit of a rest. Some guys do save their gas tank for the last 30 seconds to a minute and some people just let it all go. But strategically and i think it's a boring way to fight but it is more strategic is save your energy you know moving moving move, then the last minute just let it all hang out and you know that sticks in the uh in the judge's mind so anyway if you're a trainer or a fighter remember that all right who we got next we got james vick against uh paul felder paul felder's last fight he broke his arm in the first round and fought the other the rest of the fight, all three rounds, with a broken, a broken arm. And this fight, he fought part of the last round with a punctured lung. Well, they said a collapsed lung, which is a pneumothorax, which doesn't necessarily mean he broke a rib or punctured his lung, but he definitely had some air in his lung where it's not supposed to be, which makes it harder to breathe. It makes it a lot harder to breathe. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's different degrees to it, but... When you're so like if you we were just sitting here and we had a partial pneumothorax or or a partial you know deflated lung or collapsed lung whatever they want to call it, it's a pneumothorax. And if you had a minor one, we could sit here and talk. But to be in there, the kind of demands on their pulmonary system and their oxygenation. I mean, one little fucking you need every single micro you know millimeter of your lung. So if you have a little pneumothorax doing such a you know, cardio explosive dependent activity, it's gonna mean a lot. You know what I mean? Like we could sit here with a broken arm and we could be okay for the rest of the podcast. But fighting, blocking, punching, etc. I mean, that shit takes a lot. I but mean, apparently Paul, Paul Felder can fight with a broken arm or, or a collapsed lung. lung. Um, but I did see him. He was interviewed after the fight, and man, he was beat up. He's starting to swell up, and this was later on, not right after the fight, but like you know, later on in the night, he was interviewed, and he looked he like he was talking fine. There was no indication that he couldn't breathe or anything. But he went to the hospital. He had a partial, or he had a he had a pneumothorax, and they kept him. They kept him overnight to make sure it didn't get worse, and then they released him. Yeah. So, but that will throw. Probably, if I was this physician or any physician is going to tell him he can't fly to Prague, he's supposed to be part of the commentating or something next week out of the country. So I doubt he will be doing that now with a pneumothorax. So he's not, they're not going to let him on a they plane. They should have let him on the plane. Fuck it. <laughs> Just give him some No, money. because you put a chest tube in 
Or and he has the oxygen can drop down. I I I'll wager you that he is will will not be there. <laughs> he won't be traveling for that fight. So wait, you wait, you're telling me he'll fight with one lung, and he'll fucking fight with one arm, but he won't fly, get on a plane. Yeah, he's not gonna get released for that. Oh well. Now that right. the, now that the doctors are involved, I I do want to bring up one thing. So I I have a picture of his broken arm. He broke his ulna. This is we talked about it when this happened on the podcast. This is what we call a nightstick injury because this is classic defend yourself against. Well, who carries a nightstick, I guess? You get hit by a baton on your arm right here, and you break your ulna. This is called a nightstick fracture. That's what we call them. So this is not from getting hit by a baton, but from hitting Mike Perry in the head with his forearm. With a spinning back fist. So they fixed it, and here's a picture of his fixed arm. He's got a metal plate in his arm right here. So... He threw the spinning back fist in this fight tonight a lot, or last, last night. He, he threw that punch or that attack a lot, and it was effective for him. He's got a metal plate in his arm now. Right under his skin. There's nothing there. Your ulna bone is right under your skin. He's got a metal plate right on that, and he's throwing that attack. It is interesting that that doesn't have to be taken out. This was This came up when Anderson Silva broke his leg, and they put a titanium rod inside the bone. It's not sitting outside the bone. It's inside the bone. We don't take those out. So, so Silva's still got this titanium rod inside the bone, but it's inside his bone. It, it doesn't weigh much of anything at all. It's probably inconsequential, although he may not break his leg as easily. This plate, if it's still in there, and I, as far as I know, it hasn't been taken out, he's got a metal plate right under his skin, right where he throws a spinning back fist, I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I think it's, it's like brass knuckles to me. I don't think it's anything like brass knuckles, but <laughs> it's yeah. just an interesting thing that that attack. If someone's got a metal plate right here and they're hitting you in the face with it, I don't know. It's a, it is one of those things that makes you think: hmm, Should that be taken out or not? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It it in our in our field of orthopedics. If you have a plate like that, it could increase your chance of breaking the bone right next to the plate. Because the plate's yeah. so strong, the plate's not going to break. That's what I would think. Plus, you have the... Yeah, it's like wrapping... The, they, you know, we, we, we're taught if we wrap the hands too high, it makes like a, a cast, and then it'll break right above it with the spinning, you know, back fist. And to me, with the screws in it, and then, you know, the chant, the you know the way it could... Because this will be the harder point, the sturdier point... So I think it could increase the chance of, you know, breaking. So I think that I think it weighs, it measures out. Would you it, be okay with your fighter, the guy he's fighting, if he just, I don't know, taped a metal plate right on his skin right here? If he taped a metal plate, no. But if he had a metal plate, uh, the only thing over that is a layer of skin. That's right, it. but then, like you said, it could the chances of, of it could break. And 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 if my guy had hit my opponent, my guy's opponent had screws in his arm. Knowing that it, it I, I'd be, I'd be okay with it. I be, I'd rather have this than steroids. I would not want to be hit with a spinning back fist, with or without that plate. Yeah. <laughs> but with that plate in there, for me, I look at that and I go, "Wow, that's an interesting thing to think about." Yeah. Because you're striking with that part of your body. It's like Wolverine. He even said, I think, in his Instagram, is like he's like Wolverine after how after many, he had this. How many spinning back? He does it all the time. No, but how? Okay, and when's the last time you see this? And last time he did, it broke his arm. How many spinning back fists do you see 
knock someone out that don't land with the fist. Almost all spinning back fists either cut them or drop them with an elbow or knock them out with a spinning uh, with a fist. fist. I don't think I've ever seen anyone seriously hurt with anything from here to here. Yeah, well, so, maybe we will now. But maybe we'll... <laughs> like, I just think it's interesting. He's just it's like, using I don't know if like... there's an official rule on orthopedic hardware in the UFC. I, I don't know. Or well, in, I guess in MMA in general or with the sanctioning commission. I think it comes down to sanctioning that fighter to fight and whether or not he's safe or not and whether his orthopedic surgeon would say it's an advantage or it should be taken out or not taken out. That plate wouldn't be hard to take out. It's not... Obviously, you'd need another surgery, but it's not a big invasive surgery to take that plate out. So maybe it was taken out. I've, I haven't heard anything that was taken out. I'm assuming it's still in there. I would think it's more susceptible if they took it out. Once the well, until those holes fill Plus in. Plus the screws. Yeah, that's the screws. If you right. take them out, you got to give it some time for those screw yeah. holes to fill in. So, anyway. <clears throat> anyway, Paul Felder is a tough motherfucker. He's tough. And and so is James Vick. I mean, that was a good fight. Uh, Paul just had a better strategy, carried it out better. Um, James Vec had a good strategy, but but Paul was able to uh, he was able to impose his strategy a little better. So the, the leg kicks were another thing in this fight. Oh Man, the leg kicks! I the, forgot about them. In round three, James Vic was limping during the fight. Still, I after the, the fight, Paul Felder was limping. Yeah, <laughs> from there, throwing all those. There leg was kicks. one leg kick that landed. There were, there were low leg kicks, calf leg kicks. And one of them landed where I, I thought, I just looked at the way James Vick's leg was, and then the, his face. I thought he was about to just quit. One of them. That, one of the, like, round three leg kicks. Fuck, that looked painful. But I think one got checked, and uh, Paul. I think Paul Felder felt that one and kept fighting, but they were both limping after that fight. When you check a leg kick, when you check a leg kick, it hurts, but it hurts the kicker more, always. And you see when, when you see bro- broken legs, it's the kicker, not the checker, that gets the broken leg. So I did see that one kick where James Vick checked. That's probably why Paul Felder is limping. And uh, I wish he's, I, well, I mean, I don't really wish any harm on either one of them, but I wish James Vick would have checked more of those kicks. And James Vick is a tall... He's 6'3", and he cuts 155. to 155. 155. He looked good. I mean, he yeah. looked, he's an entertaining fighter. See, that was a pretty good fight. It was. That was a really good fight. And then the last fight, kind of a letdown, just how short it was. Yeah, Kane... You never know with the heavyweights. Yeah, Kane, it looked like he might have caught that uppercut, but he's saying he didn't really... That None of the punches really did much, but while he was going under... For the for the to start grappling, he stepped wrong, and you can see it in slow motion, where his his bad knee. He has really bad knees. He has a bad back. He's been he hasn't fought in almost three years. He gets injured all the time, and before that, he was injured all the time. So, I mean, the way he got he kind of set up his knee, and his knee kind of tweaked, and you just you watch him yelling. He wasn't out. And you could tell that punch didn't really phase him because... He was yelling about his knee. He was yelling about his knee, and then right after the fight was stopped, he stood right up and started talking. If you get rat- rocked by someone like uh, Francis Nagano and you really got hurt, like one second after the fight stopped, you're still not knowing where you are, much less talking and being completely 100% with it. So I believe none of the punches really landed. I don't think he was hurt at all by any punches. 
I think he completely was knocked out, which is a right is a righteous knockout. But I think it was all because he tweaked his knee and he just he was he was immobilized. But like I said, if he was really hurt by any of those punches, the second the fight was stopped, he was up like he wasn't trying to dispute it. He was just like ah, he was talking very you know like he was he was coherent. And you're not going to be coherent when you're like like uh, whoever got knocked out by Francis uh, Nagano uh, Blade. He he wasn't or Overeem. They it weren't was Overeem. That yeah, the second. One. Yeah, if you you talk to him a second after the knockout, he wasn't talking. You're not talking. You don't even know where you are. So poor Kane. Um, good job, Francis. He looked like he was on. So who would who knows what would have happened if that early knee injury didn't happen? But it did. So it the happened. Fight, early. It was like twenty six seconds. Yeah, twenty six seconds. So I don't. I don't. I think this fight had to do more with. Um, Kane's knee than it did with Francis punches but with that said I think Francis had a really good strategy going in he looked a lot more calm and cool and collective and 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 he had more confidence so I think he was doing a good job and, and who knows the, how this fight would have ended yeah it's unfortunate when you see that because you know these guys put in so much into the training yeah I'm sure Francis was fine with it but you know Kane puts in so much training he hasn't fought in two and a half years and for it to end in 26 seconds for kind of a fluke knee injury is kind of, that's depressing Yeah. Uh, for Kane. Especially in front of his hometown crowd. I mean, that's where he's from. He he wrestled for ASU, and um, that's where he was, right right downtown Phoenix. So yeah. sad he, sad for Kane to see that. But I he had to have torn his MCL in his knee at least. But that's how those things happen when we see those injuries happen. Someone tears some major ligaments in their knee, and they pop back up, and they think they think they're okay, so they go back out on the football field or back on the soccer field, and then it happens again because their knee is now unstable, so they immediately get injured again. I'm sure his knee swelled up today. He's limping around. He's probably getting an MRI. I have not seen what the diagnosis was yet. But it's weird how most sports, including football, you get to have a little injury, and if you can hide it, that's great. But most guys don't. I mean, and I know soccer's the worst. I mean, Men, men's soccer. The women, women don't do that. Oh, they don't? No, they don't do that. Well, I don't think I've ever watched or would watch a women's soccer game. But I think women's soccer and men's soccer is pretty even from what I heard. But anyway, any little thing, they're just, they're being fucking in a gurney, like, like it's fucking medevaced off the field or off the court. If it's a basketball player, he's got one little fucking sprained ankle. He's being carried off the... Fucking play with the injury. You're getting paid 12 million fucking dollars. And these fighters, they're fighting with broken arms, collapsed lungs, fucking missing teeth, gashes. Can you imagine a basketball play, player playing with a gash in his fucking face? It would never happen because... Fighting, it's just... It's there a whole there was, though, the one Bellator fight Friday night. Who fought in that? Matt Mitrione? I didn't see that. I didn't he, see him. There was a kick to the cup, and the guy couldn't continue. It was oh, a no contest. I didn't see so that. So speaking of that, <laughs> this uh, it was a groin kick, and uh, that ended the fight. It was like the main event fight. I didn't. No, what? Well, it was must not have been Bellator. Yeah, it was Bell. I think it was Bellator Friday night. Okay, because Bellator Saturday, Paul Daly fought Michael Page, and Paul Daly, you always expect him to come out slugging, but. He was fighting a better striker, so he spent his time doing half-assed like takedowns and shit. And Michael Page isn't very good at defending takedowns, so the takedowns were were successful. But he didn't know what to do when he was on top of him, so he's just like 
he was on top of him, and 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 he wasn't very successful. Um, but he ended up uh, tying up Michael Page a lot. But Michael Page did throw a couple punches when they were on their feet every every time. So he ended up winning the decision. It was very very disappointing fight. Um, I don't I don't think Paul Daly even threw a punch. I mean that's what he he's a puncher. He's a kickboxer. He's a knockout or artist. But he was he was completely content to just try to grapple. Not a very good fight. And then uh, Crow Cop fight fought uh, Roy Nelson, and it was just Roy running in trying to take him down, a, a, an overhand right here and there, and then Crow Cop with a kick here and there. Crow Cop won a decision. I thought it could have gone either way. Not a very good card. Then Czech Congo beat uh, Vitali. Uh, I don't even know his last name. And another very close fight that I thought Vitali probably won. But Czech Congo, another known striker, was fighting a better striker. So he, he's content, which is great, to switch his game up and do more grappling and holding and you know just holding so it's not turning into a, you know, striking. And it might be a good strategy to win the fight, but it's boring as shit. It is just boring as hell. So, I don't know. I mean... Somebody said, who wrote, uh, Ben Askren, he wrote that uh, the majority or 9 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 of the male UFC champions have a wrestling base. And I'll give him that. Wrestling is the most important base to have in MMA. It is the most, it's the most important base to have in MMA. But in and of itself, it's the most fucking boring to watch. Because you watch, no, they don't boo striking. If two guys are out there striking, nobody's going to boo. If two guys are, are grappling, just trying to go for position, like wrestling, they're going to be booing like crazy. So, there's, I mean, true, it's very important to know wrestling, and it's very important to, to combine wrestling with your striking and your jiu-jitsu submissions. But in and of itself, if you're going to count on your wrestling to win... You might win, but you're, you're going to win on points and you're going to win in a boring way. The only exciting part about wrestling to me is a really cool takedown, like a suplex or some kind of slam. But how many slams are going to happen in a fight? You know? So, I don't know. I, I agree with Ben Askren. It is a very important skill to have. But then you parlay it with someone like Dan Henderson, who turns his excellent wrestling into power punching or, you know, Johnny, Johnny Hendricks or something like that, then you have a complete fighter. But if you have just a wrestler that's going to rely on winning by holding and, and, and waiting or laying and praying, then, I mean, you might have a winning by points fighter, but you have a very fucking boring fighter. Well, what do you think about the jiu-jitsu guys, like the Grace, like the new Crone Gracie? I think the difference with that is um, you're going for an end. In striking, you're going for an end. You're going for the knockout. In sub, in submission, uh, jiu-jitsu, I'm talking about jiu-jitsu, you're going for a submission. You're going for an end. So you're going for that, boom, that takedown, that arm bar, that choke. You're going to end the fight by hurting your opponent. We don't want to hurt our, you know, our opponents in, in sport, 
But that's what it would be in the street, and that's what we're simulating, and that's what people are thinking. Oh, that choke would have killed the guy, or oh, that arm bar would have broke his arm. And in, in striking, oh, that concussion. I mean, if you kept hitting the guy, you would kill him. But in wrestling, unless you slam him, which is the only real way to hurt someone in wrestling, you're just wrestling and you're grappling and you're going for a position. And, I mean, there's pins in, in wrestling tournaments. There's submissions in jiu-jitsu tournaments and knockouts in striking tournaments. So, you know, I think the difference is striking is the most exciting. But then if you watch a good grappling match or jiu-jitsu match, they're, like, cranking each other's neck and they're trying to hurt each other without hurting each other. Well, so and also that, that takedown Crone had was pretty cool. He wrapped yeah. up his legs and, yeah, and just threw him, him off ground. balance yeah. and pulled him down. That was pretty cool. But it was think, a short fight, so it was exciting. But I think, in, in general, wrestling has more efficient takedowns, but that's all they got. So I agree with Ben Askren on that point, that there are more. But I think unless they build up their striking and their jujitsu, they're gonna they're just gonna be very boring winning fighters. All right, what there's, else we got? there's more fights coming up. We got a lot of fights coming up, but we gotta go because we don't, you know, we got things to do. But we love talking to you guys. Please comment. Please share. Please like this. And that sounds so pathetic. Like me. Like me. <laughs> Please share this and let we people know. We need a guest. We haven't had a guest in a while. Okay, we're going to have a guest. You tell us who you want as a guest. I'll get them. Tell me who you want. I'll try my best. Try, tell me who you want as a guest, whether you're listening to this on my YouTube, my Facebook, or on SoundCloud. Let, me know, let us know who you want as a guest, and I will try my best to get them. If i got to fly to them, I will get you the guest you want. All right? Thanks for coming, guys. All right, Till next time, John. See you.